Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh, okay. Shifting gears just a little bit here. Like we said, I don't think we said it on the beginning of the episode, but this might be a little bit longer, or we might cut some of this and put it in some other episodes. We'll see. I'm going to kick off this article with a tweet from... Kamala Harris, all right, with the bipartisan infrastructure law, we're going to build electric vehicles and the batteries and parts that go in them in the United States instead of relying on other countries. The future will be made in America. So this is going to be going along. I don't know if, uh, if y'all have noticed, but the Biden administration doesn't like Tesla. Teslas are... Not only do they not like them, they just don't even talk about them no, whatsoever. It's like they don't exist. They're the 13th floor of a hotel. They exist just literally. doesn't even exist. Yeah. They're like Ron Paul in 2008 and 2012. Yeah. You just don't talk about it. So that's what they're doing right now. They're just acting like Tesla doesn't exist because it's very inconvenient to talk about Tesla because they're actually the ones that have led the way in this. And Biden literally did a speech the other day crediting General Motors for electrifying the entire auto industry and leading the way in EVs. G- GM did this, mm-hmm. not anyone else, not someone who took your electric vehicle golf carts and made them into something that was really cool. Nothing like that. It was GM. And when you think back to like, man, what's that big EV company that came out and led the way for electric vehicles? Yeah. We all think back to General G- to GM. Mm. That's the one that did. And it's because they got the bailout. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. Okay, so Biden credits GM and ignores Tesla on electrification of cars, and Musk is not happy. We have a video from Musk here in a minute. President Joe Biden made a speech crediting auto giant GM for electrifying the entire auto industry and ignoring the fact that the market leader in electric vehicles is undeniably Tesla. It is. Undeniably Tesla. Tesla's worth, like, 20 GMs, <laughs> it is. <laughs> which is crazy, but uh, but it's true. So he was given that speech at the opening of a new factory, standing in front of the crowd with two white Hummer EVs behind him and speaking directly to GM CEO Mary Barra. Biden said, you electrified the entire automobile industry. I'm serious. You led and it matters. Seriously, there isn't anything called Tesla that's never happened before. I'm serious. You guys were the first ones. I'm serious and it matters. And this is factory zero, factory ground zero. (laughs) Factory zero. It's the first one. It's the first one. (laughs) Well, it's not exactly surprising that Biden didn't mention Tesla in an event celebrating GM's new factory. Security stance suggests that the American automaker is leading the electrification of the entire U.S. car market, when in fact, it will keep making gas and diesel cars until 2035, 14 years from now. How many gas vehicles does Tesla make? Yeah, exactly, exactly. that many. <laughs> yes. There you go. 
The speech echoes the August event at which Biden announced the current U.S. administration's goal to reach 50% EV sales by 2030, inviting GM, Ford, and Chrysler's parent company, Stellantis, Stellantis, I don't know which one is, to the event, but not Tesla. So what's going on here? Why won't they invite Tesla I wonder why. to this thing? The reason behind this was apparently made clear by Biden, who underlined in his speech several times his wish that the American electric cars made by union workers lead the industry. UAW, which represents 400,000 U.S. auto industry and staff, has unsuccessfully tried to unionize the Tesla workforce. It has been reported Tesla discourages staff from joining the UAW because if they do so, they will lose benefits like stock options. Although in 2018 tweet, Musk argued that this is a condition of joining UAW. <laughs> is that really a condition of joining the union that you, you can't have stock in the stock company? Options? That's crazy. Man, that's great. That's what we're all so mad that these people who own these companies, their wealth just keeps going up and up. Let's unionize everyone. You just have ownership by the government and ownership of the company through force, but you don't actually get those benefits when their stock rockets up or anything. This is crazy. This kind of short-term thinking is why people continue to have problems. In March, Tesla was ordered by the U.S. Federal National Labor Relations Board to delete the tweet by Musk and told it it violated labor laws when it fired a union activist. All right, so we got this video that Charlie sent me. It's been a little bit ago now that you sent this over to me. Yeah, also, I, I believe Musk mentions the fact that GM gave up on electric cars like 14 years ago. Yeah, they they talked about that, that um, GM actually started an EV uh, in, yeah, it was about 14 or so years ago, and they scrapped the program because they said they wouldn't be able to make money on it. Mm -hmm. But they're the ones that led. Yeah. If it weren't for GM, we wouldn't have any electric vehicles. It's obvious. Come on. All right, here's Musk talking about what's going on right like now. kind of looks like an evil dictator here. <laughs> held this uh, EV summit, um, didn't invite Tesla, um, invited um, GM, Ford, Chrysler, and UAW, an EV summit on the White House, um, didn't mention Tesla once, and praised GM and Ford for leading the EV revolution. So you were pissed. Does, does, sound, does this sound uh, maybe a little biased? Uh, or something. Um, so, um, and then, you know, just, uh, just not the friendliest administration. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. Seems to be controlled by the unions, as far as I can tell. So, are you waiting to get Trump back? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's very, you know, awkward to listen to, to him talk, but. It's also fun because you you never know what he's going to say or how he's going to say it. You know, it's not the friendliest administration. Seems to be uh, controlled by unions. <laughs> yeah, not the friendliest administration. Do we need Trump back? Mm, no. Uh, Joe, you got a little mixed up. So, Marks, workers need unions to get ownership of the companies. And then you said Tesla, you lose your ownership of the company if you join a union. It's actually UAW. Yeah. UA, the stipulation from UAW is if you... You cannot hold shares of the company and be part of the union. Yeah, not even a Tesla stipulation. It's but not. of course, they don't want unions for a lot of other reasons, all the, all the well, other yeah. problems that they throw out there. That's just the one. Yeah, and I think that's the point that Joe was making uh, when he, he was probably being kind of sarcastically, sarcastic Joe Bizzle right there. They've actually got ownership of the company Yeah, if they have the stocks right. Same thing happened with Amazon, you know? Yeah. People traded away their ownership 
where their wealth would increase if they had ownership of the company that they worked for. They were getting ownership as workers of the company, which is what everyone seems to really care about. And they traded that away and so they could get the $15 minimum wage instead. So you took that little short-term gain in your in in your pay right there that you're gonna piss away and you gave away the actual long-term thing which people are really upset upset about right now which is wealth and that's why a lot of people will never actually gain any wealth because they only think about the short-term problem and never the long term they think that you'll you only get that when everything's easy you know that's when you get wealth is when everything's easy but i talked about this with somebody in our trading class who um who worked for Tesla for about five years back in the early days and was issued several stock awards and no telling what that guy's portfolio looks like. Now he's made a lot of money mm-hmm. off of working for Tesla and having ownership uh, stock awarded. And this is huge for uh, all these companies, by the way, if you're a developer working in the tech space now, of course these jobs are highly sought after and, and they're, you know, they're uh, difficult to get, but if you can get a tech job at Facebook or Google or Snapchat or any of these companies, you are issued a lot of stock rewards and it's worth a lot of money, a lot of money. If you have, if you have a long-term mindset, you know, it's still worth a lot of money when they give you the stock and you know, that it vests and you can sell it if you want to, or do, do whatever you want to do. Uh, but if you wait long-term and you actually hold the stock while you're working for the company and something like Tesla or Amazon just keeps going up and up like that, you can actually end up growing your wealth and get, if they're gifting you shares of the company, I mean, you know, my wife, my wife works for HCA and they give her a 10% discount on HCA shares. And I told her, I was like, I mean, you're investing long term, like you might as well be buying at a 10% discount as much as possible. And she can't just buy the 10% discount and sell it, obviously. But if they're going to give you a discount on the shares, yeah, sure. You might as well take that, that 10% discount. Mm-hmm. What's well, going to go, goes down 10%. You're, you're still good with what you paid. And if you think HCA is going to keep being more and more valuable in the long run, and hey, maybe that gives you a little bit of an incentive to do everything that you can to help the company stay value, valuable, which is the idea, you know? That's mm-hmm. the idea of ownership. You don't just have someone else take all the risk and then they just give it to you afterwards. That's people saying that they don't want to take any risk. And without risk, there ain't no rewards. They want the rewards without it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that ain't why you get the biggest rewards because you took the risk, okay? And you, if you actually want the ownership like Musk and Bezos and all these people have, you're going to have to take risk along with them. And people do not want to do that. They want the straight up cash money right now so they can go spend it on something ridiculous like food. I saw, so, I saw, um, uh, th- I think there's a new uh, billionaire podcast. I think it's called All In or something like that. I know Chamath is a part of it, um, who's the CEO of, um, well, he's he's been a, an investor in a couple things, but he's the CEO of SoFi, um, founder of SoFi and, and a bunch of other things. But anyway, he was talking about this this problem with Musk selling shares and things like that. And he was, I just can't believe all the simps for the government. Okay. And yes, I'm using my Gen Z language. Here you go. Gen Z folks. I'm going to have to look that up. But um, the simps for the government, because well, he was talking about how essentially SpaceX was doing what NASA w- was supposed to be doing for somewhere between nine and $11 billion that was costing NASA $200 billion. And everybody in the comments 
were like, uh, oh, yeah, but NASA's just not, you know, doing rockets. You know, NASA's a bunch of research and all this stuff. And I just can't, for the life of me, fathom why people stick up for uh, these large institutions, the government, who just continually piss away their money because it doesn't matter to them. And then you have someone here who is actually providing so much value to society. It's, it's incomprehensible, honestly, seriously, <laughs> not comprehensible, who doesn't get invited to the EV summit, who doesn't get any accolades for reducing the cost of space travel by a massive margin, 90% essentially across the board, who's engineered and figured out ways and motivated people to figure out ways of saving money when it comes to something like space travel. And they're just simping for the government. By the way, do you know that Tesla also shares all their patents? That they're they're like open source? No. Yeah. Did not know that. They share all that because uh, I saw a video with Musk talking about it. It was honestly one of the most compelling arguments for not having patents, I'd heard. Now, I still believe if you want to have the patents, then you should be able to. But if you want to choose to not have them, then that's great too. But he made a great argument because he said, I want the future to be electric. I want vehicles to be electric. And what would it say about, you know, me and my future goals if we created the best way to make an electric car and then we just held all the patents and didn't allow anyone else to make it. And so we want everyone else to be able to make it too. And he was saying that it also makes them better because someone could come in and make the same thing that they made. And he knows that he's constantly got to be getting better than the most recent iteration of whatever their, their vehicle is, because there's going to be people making the thing that he just made. And so it gives him more competition to make a better product afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought it was a, a pretty good argument as far as patents go. And I, I think he was, you know, the, if you want to choose to give away your patents or to not have any or whatever it is, then, then and that's totally fine. But And then he also knows Tesla's so far ahead of the game. Yeah, I mean, I just saw an article the other day where um, there were vehicles already rolling off the line at the Gigafactory in Berlin. Nice. And so it's not, he's going to have these, What he said he what, needs seven or ten Gigafactories around the world to power the whole world, essentially. So he's thinking so far ahead and Tesla's so far ahead, I don't think... Um, I don't think they're going to lose. No, um, I don't think they will. Now, there are cars that look cooler, like the Lucid. The Lucid car looks... I, I think the Lucid looks cooler. Looks looks cooler than a Tesla. Mm -hmm. More expensive than a Tesla, too. So, But as these things happen, as competition enters the market, that uh, only makes things cheaper for people. Right? And one little political argument here at the end of this EV conversation and why they didn't invite Tesla... The main crux of the argument here is the unions control at least the Democratic Party, and I'm sure a lot of people in the Re Republican Party, too. The unions control a lot of stuff in the government. And so they even crafted the new EV subsidies, the new EV credits, where you get 12500 refundable dollars for that. I think you sent me the, the mm -hmm. video about that. 12500 refundable. The way it is right now, it just counts against whatever your taxes are, and it's up to 7500 well, now Tesla will still have the 7,500, but GM and Ford and Chrysler are going to have 12,500 because the new bump for the EV credits only counts car companies that have unionized workers. And so Tesla still is going to have the lower subsidy also. Yeah. So now the government will be subsidizing GM and Ford and Chrysler, 
because they have unions, because they are bought and paid for by the unions, and they're going to be subsidizing their business over Tesla's. And I bet you what, Tesla's still going to win. Still going to happen. But nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. This is all for you and your protection. It's not that it's just glaringly obvious. Yeah. It's not even an argument anymore. Like, it's just a thing. Oh, if you got a union workers, we'll give you more money. We're going to, we're going to, and that's, people think that that's okay because unions are better for the worker and, you know, the ends justify the means and, and, and all that kind of nonsense. And so they're fine with it because if, if, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes to get people unionized. So they can be, and don't you know stuck. how much those unions donated to their campaigns, folks? Oh. Aren't they owed something for that? <laughs> I mean, it would be it would be unjust. How are they supposed to, to have their luncheons? Yeah, without being sponsored by the union, okay? And these politicians need their luncheons, okay? Yeah, you got to eat lunch at a luncheon if you're a politician. That's what I heard, man. Switching gears. Just continuing on to another you podcast like episode. You like that segue? Switching gears. Switching gears. I like. I like it. To some climate change stuff. Uh, speaking, this this ties along with EVs, I think. Well, well yeah, that is why. Yeah, that is change. why I put it in here in, in this order. This is from Axios. Uh, study cast doubt on climate emissions pledge estimates. Imagine that. A new analysis casts doubt on whether scientists can precisely estimate how much nations' combined emissions-cutting pledges will stem global warming, instead showing a wide range of potential outcomes. Now, we've talked about what? this what? so many times, right? Even your, if you look up the journals, which I have, by the way, on climate if you, and the temperature data, the historical temperature data, it literally says that the measurements can be plus or minus one degree Celsius. Now, when it comes to global warming and climate change, one degree is a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's going to kill everyone. It's like almost a couple degrees so the Fahrenheit. Fact I don't that know it what can that be is. One or it can be plus or minus one degree Celsius on these variations, and this is a problem with all the models. We're going like to play Jordan, that Peterson video. Yeah, Jordan Peterson, you know, explains it like this with his fingers. Um, when you when you <laughs> extrapolate, when you predict. Further into the future you go, sorry, hit your camera. That's fine. The further in the future that you go, the wider and wider the margins get, so it becomes impossible to predict. So world leaders need to know if emissions uh, to targets currently on the table would meet the Paris Agreement's temperature goals or if more stringent commitments are needed. The new study shows they may be placing too much faith in temperature projections. What? Well, they were told what? to follow the science, and so they're following the science, <laughs> and now they're putting too much faith in the science. Oh. During COP26 in Glasgow, analysis showed that a business-as-usual course of greenhouse gas emissions would yield about 2.7 degrees Celsius of global warming compared to pre-industrial levels in 2100. So remember, 2.7 degrees. These single degrees are very important. Mm-hmm. Quick analysis released during the talks showed that all of the COP26 emissions pledges, including action on methane emissions, so, you know, capturing those cow farts. Go get them. Could bring that down to below 2 degrees Celsius, but the new study casts doubt on the accuracy of these figures. Now, real quick, before we go any further on that, their, like, rosy pictured thing from all this money that they're talking about spending, say, after the Paris Agreement or COP26... Um, their, their, their best case scenario is that they're going to decrease it from 2.7 degrees Celsius of warming 
to just below two degrees Celsius. We'll of say one point nine. Yeah, just say 1.9 degrees Celsius mm-hmm. of warming. That's if everything goes perfectly, if all their numbers are correct, if all the governments tax all the perfect amount of money and spend it in all the perfect places, that that's what they're going to reduce. By spending trillions and trillions of your money towards working towards this and assuming that for the first time ever, the government sets a goal and achieves it. Just assuming. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe the moon landing thing like is, a, is one of them, whatever. But other than the moon, they're assuming that they're going to be able to do this. That's ridiculous, man. For the new study published in the journal Natural Climate Change, uh, scientists used seven different computer models to simulate how future missions must play out through 2030, 2050, and 2100. It shows the dangers of focusing too much on specific global warming forecasts. This is because of the uncertainties involved in projecting future emissions and economic growth, along with model uncertainties and other factors. At COP26, the International Energy Agency offered up a projected warming figure of 1.8 degrees Celsius, provided every voluntary emissions pledge would be met on time and taken into account pledges to cut emissions of methane, a powerful greenhouse gas, as well as net zero commitments for 2050. Net zero commitments for 2050. Mm-hmm. That means everyone's got to get to net zero. And it was 1.8, not 1.9. So we 1. just 8. got that official number right there. Even with all new Glasgow pledges for 2030, we will emit roughly twice as much in 2030 as required for 1.5 degrees, the tracker analysis stated. The new study began a year ago and focused on how large of a range, how large a range of warming the models projected in order to get a better idea of the uncertainties involved. Now, get this, folks. This is the range. This is the plus or minus range. So when I say, Nate, the temperature outside right now is forty-five degrees plus or minus four degrees. That okay. means it could be anywhere between forty-one and forty-nine degrees. Okay, you have no idea. I'm just pro- I'm just projecting. Now, where okay? that's really important when you're talking about the world ending is more important when you're like, hey, is it uh is it going to snow today or is it going to rain? Mm-hmm. But what's the temperature going to be? 32 plus or minus five degrees. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's either going to be 27 or it's going to be 37 degrees. Mm-hmm. Now that difference right there is a difference in just getting rain or getting a bunch of snow. But if you're Weatherman just said, tomorrow, plus or minus five degrees, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You would think that he was pulling your chain. Amen and woman. So the model showed that the current policy, the, that current policies, which would not involve stringent emissions cuts, would lead to between 2.3 and 2.9 degrees Celsius of warming by 2100. When accounting for uncertainties and how the climate would respond to additional amounts of greenhouse gases, the study shows a wider range of potential outcomes. How the climate would respond. I like it just sounds like we're talking oh, yeah. about it like it's this thing out there. How are you gonna respond, man? Are you yeah. gonna are you cool? Are we good? You want me to sell some shares? I'm getting pissed. You good? <laughs> Global right. warming could reach as high as three point eight degrees Celsius or as low as one point seven degrees Celsius when such uncertainties are taken into account. So right there, there's your plus or minus. Uh, either it's one, one point. What is that? <laughs> it's either it's either I like two point one degrees Celsius. I'm sorry, that's it's plus or minus two point one. It's either one point seven degrees Celsius or over twice that much. I love it when they do this mm. kind of stuff. It's either this amount or it's going to be over twice that amount. We don't know. No way of knowing. 
Really, we are quite uncertain about where current policies and NDCs take us, contrary to a lot of the media and communication during COP26. Well, imagine that. Yeah. What the, what the actual scientists are saying is like, hey, we really don't know, which is good. Good. When you're practicing science and you come to a conclusion where you actually don't know the answer, that's what you should say. Hey, it could be it could be really bad or it could be not so bad. We're not really sure. This is important in a policy context as ambitious climate goals could be further out of reach than often believed, meaning even if we do do everything we possibly can, like let's say we cut emissions off tomorrow, right? The, the people who are going to freeze to death this winter be damned, whatever, we could still be off in our predictions on what it would be. And so this is why it's so difficult to just take the census now, we've said before on the show, um, I like Elon Musk's take on this, which is uh, there is something to be said about taking carbon from the ground and releasing it into the air. That's going to have some kind of effect. But how much do humans actually contribute to that? And what can humans actually do to stop it? Uh, and then also, like, how, what's the word? How narcissistic of us to believe that we have such an impact on the universe and right? um just see i haven't talked to you about this yet but i've been reading a really good book called false alarm by uh, i think it's uh beyond the uh, lomberg lomberg i can't remember how, uh, how you say his name oh it doesn't matter called bjorn, false alarm bjorn lomberg bjorn lomberg i think yeah i got those kind of backwards anyway really good stuff a lot of data in it you can tell a lot of research went into it after reading this book i've decided that I need to become an expert on climate change, on the amount of money that we are putting into it, what that is actually going to do, what are we spending on subsidies, what other technologies are there out there, because this is going to be the biggest boondoggle of our lives coming up right here, is this fight against climate change. It is going to be used to do all sorts of stuff that we are not going to agree with whatsoever taking liberties away from people. They're using it for a virus right now, and they will declare the public health emergencies for climate change to shut stuff down and stop people from traveling because of climate change. They will enact new taxes. They will take all the trillions of dollars to put towards this. And then you have some scientists coming out and posted from, what was it, Axios or from uh, Reuters? I can't remember where this came from. Oh, the actual study? No, this um this article Axios. Well, Axios, but this was published in the uh, the journal Na Nature Climate Change, and actually people coming out and saying, hey, even if we do this, the projections are so wide, we have no idea if this is actually going to do anything, and so that's a pretty important point for people to realize that they might take all this money from you, and release it into the atmosphere and do nothing about the alleged massive dangers of climate change, mm -hmm. when there are some really simple cost-effective things that we could be doing as humans to... to uh, do you want to play the, the Jordan Peterson yeah, video real quick? Yeah, I think he's got a great answer for it. So this is Peterson talking about how he worked for the, uh, the UN, and he realized that the ranges on the projections were just too wide for him to to actually come up with any answers on it. I feel bad for the kid that he gives the initial answer to. I think it's kind of funny, though. It is funny. I just... It was probably kind of embarrassing, yeah. you know. Unanticipated for 65 million years, all result from climate change, according to over 700 of your fellow scientists. So I was wondering whether you thought climate change could be an issue that could unite us all on left and right, moving us 
beyond debates about C16 to discussions at the UN at Katowice next month, where perhaps humanity might finally discover its global map of meaning? No. <laughs> you put so much thought into that question. No. no. I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, the first reason is, is that um, I spent a lot of time reading. Uh, I worked for a UN committee for two years on sustainable economic and ecological development and read a very large amount during that period of time and learned a lot, much of which made me much more optimistic than I had been before I read the relevant literature, which was a real shock to me. But the climate change issue is an absolutely catastrophic, nightmarish mess, and the idea that that will unite us is that's 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 not going to unite us. I mean, um, first of all, it's very difficult to separate the science from the politics, and second, even if the claims, the more radical claims, are true, we have no idea what to do about it, and so no. And besides, it's even worse than that. Here's the here's one of the worst things about the whole mess is so as you project outwards with regards to your climate change projections, which are quite unreliable to begin with, and the unreliability of the measurement magnifies as you move forward in time, obviously, because the errors accumulate. And so if you go out 50 years, the error bars around the projections are already so, so wide that we won't be able to measure the positive or negative effects of anything we do right now. So how in the world are you gonna solve a problem when you can't even measure the consequence of your actions? Like, how is that even possible? And, and besides that, well, what's the solution? What are we going to do? Switch to wind and solar? Well, good luck with that. Just try it and see what happens. We can't store the power. Germany tried it. They produced more carbon dioxide than they did when they started because they had to turn on their coal-fired plants again. That wasn't a very good plan. Well, we don't want nuclear. It's like, okay, what happens at night? Huh, the sun goes down. Well, isn't that something we shouldn't have taken, that we should have taken into account? Well, we've got to flip on the coal-fired plants. Well, so it was a complete catastrophe, and all that happened was the price of electricity shot up. It was like zero utility. That's, that's not a solution. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we should cut back. We can't consume as much as we, sh as, we, as we are all consuming. It's like, well, maybe, except the data that I've read indicate that if you can get the GDP of people up to about $5,000 a year, then they start caring about the environment, and the environment cleans up, so you could make a perfectly strong case, I think, and a reasonable one, perhaps even a humane one, that the actual idea would be to get everybody in the world who's poor, desperately so, out of poverty as fast as possible, which would increase consumption in the short term, because then they'd start to care about the environment and things would clean up. It's like, okay, well, what are we going to do about global warming? Well, good luck figuring that out. I don't see a solution on the horizon. I look at Bjorn Lomberg's work. I really like Bjorn Lomberg. I think he's a real genius. You can look him up if you want. He took the um, UN Millennial Goals, there's 200 of them, that's way too many goals if you're serious about goals, by the way, because 200 goals isn't a plan, it's a wish list. You have to prioritize, I'm serious, you have to prioritize, but they won't prioritize because each of the goals has its constituents, and if you prioritize, then you irritate the constituents, but if you don't prioritize, then you can't implement the plan. So what Lomberg did was gather a team of teams of economists, multiple teams, some of whom were Nobel Prize winning economists. He had them assemble teams. He had them rank order uh, development goals in terms of their return on investment, all, all of the teams. Then he averaged across the teams and came up with a final list. And, and addressing global warming wasn't even on the list. The, the most fundamental 
he wrote a book called How to Spend $75 Billion to Make the World a Better Place, and that's not very much money on a global scale. Almost everything that he recommended had to do with increased child nutrition in developing, in developing countries. It's like, these things are complicated, man. These are complicated. It's like, well, let's fix global warming. It's like, okay, well, good luck with that. First of all, how are you going to do that? And to think that will unite us, but certainly not uniting us so far. So, no. And, and yeah. <laughs> so, no. I mean, I think he put it just about perfectly. He, he covered pretty much everything mm-hmm. right there. So, that's, that's pretty good. Amen. That is that is the problem. That's the what they're pinpointing in the article is exactly what Jordan Peterson just said is that the the error he said the error bars around the projections and the calculations they get wider and wider as more time goes out and your projections become less and less accurate. And so we can't even measure whether or not what we're doing is correct, but we're going to go ahead and spend trillions of dollars of other people's money. And uh, like what a lot of people in the group are saying right now, if we actually care about climate change, if that's something that we want to fix, there's a really, um, there's a really available solution with a lot of new technologies and that's nuclear. It's already there. No emissions. There's uh, it's much safer than the 1940s and fifties technology that was being used in the times that it went incorrectly and people use Fukushima. It's a ridiculous one to use. They, they were using diesel generators uh, to run the cooling system. They ended up uh, flooding out when, you know, the tsunami came through there. They ended up flooding out, and that's how they ended up melting down. Okay, maybe just, maybe just don't put your diesel generators by the flood wall anymore or come up with other ways of doing that or build a bigger flood wall, and then Fukushima doesn't melt down, and we're not able to use that explanation anymore don't build it where it can be hit by a tsunami yeah (laughs) yeah well and the the technology is greatly improved i mean this was this was evidenced in uh the documentary on bill gates Mm -hmm. um, uh, on on netflix that they have that the new technology for nuclear power is completely different uh, from where it is and the cooling mechanisms don't rely on any sorts of generators or anything like that in fact, they were using... They use a liquid metal liquid for metal. cooling, yeah. and, he said, and they were also going to run off of nuclear waste. He said that there was enough nuclear waste in Paducah, Kentucky, to power America for 300 years off of the system that they came up with. Just already, that nuclear waste that's there Off of in waste? Paducah. Not, yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. So, it's a, the, the solutions are out there, and they're... They're pretty expensive. There's other there's other things like uh, just doing carbon capture technologies as well. You know, uh, Joe Norberg made a really good point when he was on here that we made energy so expensive over the last year through all the things that we did that actually uh, carbon capture is cheaper than what we're paying uh, for the energy cuts that we made over the last year. Or paying fines. Yeah. It's cheaper. Yeah. So for these companies. Well, and, and what Jordan Peterson alluded to, Bjorn Lomberg um uh, alluded to the same thing, or I'm sorry, Joe and Norberg alluded to the same thing, which is uh, they tried this in Germany. You know, they tried to, and then what did they do? Well, they they had to flip on the coal plants, and it ended up costing everybody so much more money. That's what's happening this winter, by the way, yeah. right now. And then the argument a lot of people on the right will make, which is still a good argument, because should we put ourselves into economic despair to fix this, when if China doesn't do anything about it, if they don't change what they're doing, nothing that we do matters. We should probably wage war. Yeah, that's how you get into a climate change war right there. If they don't change what they're doing, then not a single thing that we do matters. We have to bomb them into the Green New Deal. There you go. That's That's the way that you do it. That's the way it works. 